You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Hello and thank you for attending this evening's event, Curating Video Games in Museums. I would firstly like to acknowledge the Yilukut women as traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. The Yilukut women are part of the Boonwurrung, one of the five major language groups of the Greater Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present and to the future. Tonight, we're delighted to welcome Marie Faustin and Michael McMaster. Marie was the lead curator on the V&A's headline exhibition, Video Games Design, Play, Disrupt, and is co-founder of the UK-based independent video game collective, The Wild Rumpus. <laughs> Michael is co-director of the House House Studio, makers of Push Me Pull You and the upcoming Untitled Goose Game. Michael is also undertaking a PhD at RMIT, researching the position of video games within art and design museums. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. As Jen mentioned, yep, we're here talking with Marie, who's been working for the past four years? Three and a half. Three and a half years uh, at the Victorian Albert Museum uh, developing this really major uh, kind of groundbreaking exhibition uh, called Video Games Design Play Disrupt, which we'll be learning more about today. Um, and beyond the museum space, as Jen mentioned, uh, she's got a much longer history as an independent curator and producer, primarily through her work uh, with the uh, London-based collective called The Wild Rumpus, which she co-founded. Um, and I'll also acknowledge uh, I've personally uh, been quite involved in this exhibition as well. I've been uh, working in my capacity as a researcher uh, at the VNA, working with Marie and the team there um, to sort of document the process behind the exhibition. Um, so I've been in London up until uh, two days ago. Um, so right now I'm very, very jet lagged uh, and I feel a bit like I'm underwater. So if I stop in the middle of a sentence or anything, just or shake you awake. Yeah, just like, like oh. splash me with water or something. Um, so to begin with, uh, I was wondering if you'd be able to just sort of start with a quick outline of the exhibition itself. Yeah, so um, as Michael says, it's an exhibition that I've been working on for the past three and a half years. And it's an exhibition is, that is at the Victorian Albert Museum or the V&A, which is this fancy institution you can see on the screen up here. Um, so people who aren't familiar, the V&A is a very major museum. It's a big established museum that has, it engages with quite a lot of different disciplines, but primarily it's an institution that's interested in design and design process. And so that is really sort of the starting point for the exhibition that... Um, that I've been uh, developing, which was uh, ended up being called Video Games Design Play Disrupt. And so the state or the context and the platform um, or the lens through which the exhibition was looking at games is obviously very much sort of led by the institution's focus and the institution's work. And so that is that this is an exhibition looking at games through the lens of design. Um, as, a bit of a, as a bit of an overview for that exhibition, that what it was was um, an exhibition that seek to really develop or continue um, to lead on from past major exhibitions on video games, which there have been exhibitions on video games before at major cultural institutions, but they are quite few and far between. And we wanted to build on that legacy, but also do something different and to bring, um, to approach video games in a different way to sort of continue that and to build on that legacy. And so the things that we specifically strove to do with the exhibition was that first, 
we didn't want this to really be sort of necessarily an exhibition that was sort of an arcade in a museum. We wanted instead to find a way to really interrogate it as a design discipline and to open it up as a design, um, as a design practice. Um, and secondly, we chose, I think a lot of people when they have assumptions or expectations about subjects in spaces such as this on video games, that it's instantly going to be um, automatically going to be a retrospective or a nostalgic history, which it's not. Um, we chose instead to look at the contemporary and specifically what we mean when we say sort of contemporary for this exhibition is that this was an exhibition that was looking at video games from the mid-2000s to the present day. And the reason why we settled on that specific period was saying, Okay, in the mid-2000s, we have a whole host of technological catalysts from smartphones to broadband to social media, all of which has had a radical impact on the way that games are designed, the way that they're discussed, and the way that they're played. And so the thing that sort of unites every single work that's within the exhibition is that every, ex every object, every game, or every connected work is something that in some way has, um, is sort of significant of that pe this period of change. It's, it is a work that is radically sort of looking to change the discipline or to sort of break boundaries in different ways. And so I think that's a very broad but brief overview <laughs> at, the, at the exhibition in the museum. Um, I was wondering if you could also just sort of get into this, this subtitle. Um, the title of the, of the exhibition is Video Games, which is obviously a very broad... One word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you could get into this, this subtitle, Design Play Disrupt, like, wh what are you getting at there? So it's the subtitle is something that when, when we will talk a bit more about sort of what the exhibition was, just because I'm aware that obviously it being in the other hemisphere there, not many people have probably had a chance to visit the show. So we'll talk a bit about and show you some images of, um, of that exhibition. But, but as the title suggests, Design Play Disrupt, it's a show that sort of does break into these three key sections. The first of which is really looking at, um, and should I shift on to show some pictures now actually? What's gonna, I, I don't entirely know what slides are gonna come up next. So this is gonna be a surprise for you as much as it is for me. Um, so, so here's an outline of the exhibition as you can see it. So um, the, the, although this has the old titles for the spaces. So the first section, which is perhaps more the traditional approach um, to the way that the V&A approach is designed was a section where we looked at design in detail and looked at just eight contemporary games um, and looked at their design process. Um, the second section, which um, was then called Disruptors, is where we looked at sort of the social and political conversations that have been had around video games in the past um, sort of 15 or so years. And then the last section, which sort of splits into two halves, is where we look at games from the perspective of the player. So some people sort of say, oh, well, that title must have, was that where the exhibition came from? And it's like, no, the title was a long, long and painful, painful discussion um, that came about sort of right at the 11th hour of what we should call the exhibition. But um, but the title does reflect those three spaces. But um, if anybody's smart in the audience, you'll notice that it's in the wrong order. But the, the reason being that sort of the design, of course, that's at the beginning, but then we go to play, which is technically at the end. But the reason why we kept Disrupt at the end, which sort of does speak of that second section, is that, um, sorry about the helicopters. But um, is the fact that every single work in the exhibition is disruptive in some way, and that was the most important statement for us with the exhibition, was to sort of consider this as being sort of disruptive. So, um, yeah, and so just to show you some of the images, as I said, that this is the, um, this is the, the, the de new designer section, um, and this is sort of an image taken sort of centrally within that space. As I said, it was eight contemporary titles that we looked at in detail, and it was um, sort of an eclectic range of eight different games, um, and we'll talk about that sort of more a, a bit in detail. Um, 
that this is the second section, disruptors, where you can see some of the headlines for these desks. So each of the spaces had very different sort of approaches to the way that they were designed and conceived and the sorts of objects and materials that we showcased in them. And um, this is the uh, first half of the play section, which is where we looked at... For us, that each of these three sections, even though they're broken up by different titles, every one still is about design. Everything still speaks to a design story. And in the last section, um, players, where we're looking at the work from the perspective of players, that this is still, even though we can sometimes think of the way that people play or engage with video games as being almost this sort of, not passive, but even though games are active or interactive, this perhaps passive mode of engagement or passive consumption, that actually when we look at the way that contemporary games uh, communities or people play games today, that we frequently see them transcend the role of the designer. And so this was a space where we're actually looking at the design stories of players and the way that people were doing things that are quite unexpected and quite different and almost sort of creating and crafting within games. And so the first half of that space was this players online space, which is this massive, massive double height installation that breaks down into these four films, which look at four different modes of creativity. Some, like the one in this screen that you can see here is looking at fan art and cosplay, specifically through um, Overwatch. And we looked at three other games as well in different modes of creativity um, from players. And then the very last section in, of the exhibition, which is the second half of players, still stays with um, that concept of looking at play and player communities. but. Shifting from looking at the mass, the online and the popular, we instead look at the niche, the DIY and the offline with sort of the works from the sort of DIY arcade scene. And for people who are familiar that you can see um, Melbourne or Australia's own Bush Bash, which got shifted all the way from um, Perth, which is the work of um, SK Games or Bar SK that uh, came here. So yes, that's, that's sort of the, the title and how it relates to the sections. And a nice quick overview. Um, <laughs> So going back to sort of the, the, the context that this, how this exhibition fits into the, the building that it's in, um, the V&A is a very old like, institution. It was founded in the 1800s originally as a museum of, uh, if I'm correct, like industrial design and decorative arts. Don't, don't push me on the history of the V&A. <laughs> <laughs> what year was it founded? Um, but obviously it historically hasn't been a space that's... that's um, associated with, with a medium like video games. Um, how does an exhibition like this originate in the V&A and sort of how does it fit into their um, kind of remit or general kind of, yeah? Yeah, that it's not, it's not, the exhibition is by no means sort of the first time that the museum had engaged with video games, that, um, that we have sort of a digital collecting team who had been sort of, and there have been past um, exhibitions that have included video games. We have video games in the permanent collection, but not with any sort of consistent sort of um, strand or sort of focus of collecting. And so this was this is really sort of like the first major sort of engagement that the museum, or the, one of the biggest engagements the museum's had with the subject. And um, the genesis of the exhibition was that I was incredibly fortunate that when I came to the V&A, I was not the person that had to put up the fight to convince the V&A to host a show on, on video games or to undertake an exhibition on video games. That was a fight that was really um, undertaken by um, my then sort of boss, Kieran Long, who, um, who comes from architecture, but he's somebody who is a keeper who is very interested in video games and had done that sort of critical work as an advocate within the institution to convince them that you're a museum of design and this is one of the biggest design disciplines in the world. And that means that you need to have an engagement with this subject. So I guess that's very much sort of the way that it came into the institution, but um, yeah. And then what, once the exhibition had been sort of conceived of and fought for, 
there was still the, the question of hiring a curator like you. Was there, that was an acknowledgement on their part that there wasn't the expertise um, needed to develop an exhibition like this within the museum already? Yeah, that there's that there've been people who've been working on this sort of concept for the exhibition previously, who again sort of um, Louise Shannon and Alex Wiltshire, who were two really critical people. Louise Shannon was our then digital design curator, who'd done um, again, and they both done a lot of really critical work, sort of developing an original concept. But um, for a variety of different factors, that it did come about that they needed somebody who, um, that, yeah, who who had that specialism or that expertise because the museum doesn't have a curator of video games and. Yeah, and so they did need to bring somebody in from that specialism specifically to, to be able to take on the exhibition. Um, and so to sort of, from like a, a curatorial practice perspective, I'm going to ask the like simplest, most straightforward question. How'd you pick the games? We just put them into a hat and <laughs> picked them out. Um, yeah, that's a, the, one of the things that I do say to people when we talk about the exhibition is that actually across the whole of the exhibition, the whole three sections, there are 30 works related, either games or related to games. Um, and so the majority of things that we focus on in the exhibition are video games, but there's also works which I think are equally sort of relevant for us to exhibit about game design such as, say, Feminist Frequency, a video series. So there's 30 sort of focal works across the whole exhibition. Um, but this exhibition is by no means a um, conclusive sort of uh, canon or sort of retrospective of every single game that is important or beloved over the past sort of 15 years. And it's something that I've lived in dread of over the years curating this, that just knowing as soon as the exhibition opens, everyone's just sort of like, where's this game and where's See that game? See my game in there? No, there's no push me pull you. I'm afraid. Oh no, it does feature actually. It features in a video at the end. Anyway, that's a different story. Got um, but um, <laughs> but. Um, and so we, I, I, we, we, but we know we can't do breadth. And I think anyone that works in curation around video games at the moment, because there is such a, a lack of critical engagement um, or a lack of um, variety of different of institutions engaging with this, that you feel this sense of vertigo because you just look out there and there is so many different ways to look at games. There's so many different works. And even looking at a period of the past 15 years, that that's still an incredibly wide remit, even with the sort of focus or the thesis we gave to the show. And so um, the selection process, I say the thesis of the exhibition was that every work has to be groundbreaking in some way. Every work has to be proving that connected to this idea of that cultural, that design shift and change of um, technologies of the mid-2000s, every work has to be enabled by that in some way and has to be proving to be sort of groundbreaking in some way. Um, but we didn't want to um, we didn't want to try and spread ourselves too thin, and so we wanted to make sure that we really gave sort of time and focus for people to sort of focus on specific works. And so instead, we sort of focused towards building up an idea of sort of a constellation of games that we didn't want to um, necessarily duplicate a, a, a genre. We wanted to show different scales of studio. We wanted to show different types of games. We wanted to show different modes of ambition, different types of developers, um, and different design stories. And so. It, it was incredibly hard um, making that decision. And also, sometimes your hand is forced by the fact that, um, and as we talk probably a bit more about sort of the nature of the space, that some studios do or necessarily don't necessarily, some studios are going to be more receptive to the idea of working with us. And so sometimes you are, you are curtailed by which studios are prepared to go on this journey with you. Um, and also sometimes some works just aren't necessarily suitable to be um, exhibited in different ways, but that's probably... How, how do you define that suitability? Well, so it's probably it's probably better for me to explain sort of um, the section first before sure. to because any any game can be exhibited in some context, but maybe if we dig into probably the design section. Right. So this this first space, which is um, 
titled New Designers. Yeah. Uh, Which we keep forgetting the titles of this section because they've all got these yeah. weird old names that we call them by. And then look, today we're looking through the presentation. It's like, Michael's like, is that really what it's called? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. None of us remember. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what was the kind of, for this first space, what was the, I guess, um, methodology in terms of, or even ideology in terms of the, uh, what you were choosing to display, how you were displaying it? So, so for this first section, as I said at the beginning, this is perhaps sort of much more of a traditional, um, perhaps more sort of expected traditional approach to exhibiting design in the way that the V&A does that, as I said, this is a section where we really wanted to look at design process. And I think one of the things that was really critical for us with this exhibition was that I think so many people, um, and it's actually quite a contentious sort of conversation that's been happening in the past couple of weeks with regards to, um, say, the, 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 the words of the creators um, from Rockstar of Red Dead Redemption 2 about um, whether or not it's valuable for people who either play games or don't play video games to know how a game gets made. Um, and that um, I think their statement that they said in one article was that it's better to, it'll take the magic away if people understand how a game gets made. And I, I Games get made by magic they elves. They get made by magical elves. I'd love it if that was the credits for Red Dead Redemption 2, like just says elves. Elf number one. <laughs> Um, but but I, I fundamentally disagree with that with that sort of mindset because I think people actually gain such a greater greater appreciation of design when you understand the constraints and you understand the task at hand that suddenly it blows your mind how these works exist when you begin to understand what actually goes into creating games and I think that was one of the major things that we wanted to do with the exhibition was open up design video game design as a practice because I think for too many people um, it's it's a black box it's impenetrable like you you understand perhaps code happens but then magic and L also happen and then suddenly there's a with horses in it um and so so that was that was really sort of the focus of this space was as i say that we looked at eight contemporary games we wanted to look at in detail and i normally um explain sort of the um conception of this space using the first game that people come to in the exhibition as an example which is um the video game journey from 2012 which is um for people who don't know this is a game by that game company that um, they were a relatively, or are relatively sort of um, small to mid-sized independent studio based in Santa Monica. And in the game you play as this road figure that's traveling across this sort of vast desert landscape um, and sort of journeying towards this big sort of mountain peak at the end. And as you're playing the game, you begin to um, sort of notice occasionally other road figures who address sort of the same as yourself. And as you play the game, you realize, oh, these aren't sort of, um, these aren't in-game characters. These are actually other players playing anonymously, anonymously online. And... The designers for this with their intention was that um, that game company said that they really wanted to make a game that they felt that there was too few um, too few uh, games which sort of were really expanding or trying to touch on a different emotional spectrum of experiences that a player could engage with. And so for this game, they were really seeking to create um, feelings of empathy, of love and awe um, within players. Um, and so the way that we wanted to work and it's it sort of comes back to almost like a um, so how, so how do we show that how do we how do we get people to understand sort of the the journey and the process the journey the process that the designers went on when they're sort of conceiving that and so the the department as well that I sit within at the VNA is the design architecture and digital department and there was a a phrase that um, our architecture curator said to us once or said to me once just casually in passing which he said um, we don't really collect architecture do we we collect just the debris. And he's obviously talking about the fact that with architecture, there's very clear scales of, uh, sort of issues of scale, of physical scale with, there's a reason why you can't put 10 buildings necessarily within one building. So instead, 
and, and video games, for a lot of complex reasons, actually face similar issues of scale. Not physical scale, but the amount of time it takes to play a game, um, the amount of um, skill it would take to be able to play a game, the pressure and fear of performance in a public space, the amount of people who can play. Um, and so we instead wanted to look at, so architecture deals with a lot of these issues or is a complex subject to exhibit. And so they do this through finding this established curatorial language, which as Neil was sort of terming it as sort of debris, but actually for us, we thought of that as, okay, this is kind of like a constellation of objects. What sort of, what debris can we find from the design process that speaks of and builds up a bigger picture of the way that these games were designed? And so the work that we undertook for this first section was a lot of um, reaching out to developers and designers just to begin to understand when you made these games, what artifacts and objects were really important to you. And that's both sort of physical objects and digital as well. And so some of the objects that we had for Journey were um, Robin Haneke's notebooks. And I really, I really like sort of being able to have the notebooks in the exhibition from the sense that it's just... I think it's a really grounding tool when people think about video game design that it can seem like this incredibly complex and um, complicated medium to understand. But when you sort of realise that connection of the notebook across every single design discipline, it's something that every designer has, that it just sort of... I think it just helps root people in this understanding of not seeing video games as being this weird outsider, but understanding that it's connected to other design disciplines. And it's just seeing the stationery someone uses, seeing the way that they use it, seeing the frustrations. I love you can see the little robed figure here with the scribblings underneath, we must fix this, exclamation mark. He's got a little sad face. So you see, just so you just get a sense of the fact that these games are made by people and they're made by people that are frustrated and, and confused and it's complicated. And, and so we have like a lot of these sort of physical artifacts that we were able to bring together from different games. But we also look towards um, sort of digital artifacts as well, such as, um, and this is one of my other favorite objects in the exhibition, which is one of the early prototypes of Journey, which is um, an early prototype. And this prototype is always so brutally ugly when you compare it to the finished game, which is this very lavish, very sort of beautiful, stunning sort of um, desert landscape. But this prototype is just rudimentary circles. And what you're actually watching happen is when the two players sort of interact that, when they connect, they get a sort of like a speed boost or they're able to um, surmount different ob obstacles. And it was them just sort of testing like when, okay, we have these expectations of these game mechanics. Do they actually, do people actually respond to them in the way that we want them to respond to? And so this is an object that sort of sits at the front, which just sort of, you can hear them sort of talking over the top of this, just sort of discussing with each other about, um, and laughing with each other about sort of, um, about the, the, the game and the mechanics they're playing it. But um and so what, what, what screen's gonna come up next? Ah, yes, that one. So, so that's, just two of the, that's just two of the objects that we had within that space that, um, so you can see sort of Robin's notebook sitting down the right-hand side and you can see the prototypes just to the, um, to just the next sort of along from that. But, um, but so it was, it's about this idea of bringing together this debris or this constellation that for Journey was about how do we tell this sort of emotional journey? How do we tell sort of um, the, the, the different materiality of what they used to create the game? And how did that help build up a bigger picture? Which, um, yeah, and I, I feel like I'm just kind of going to ramble on to the bit about the installations. Sure, keep going. <laughs> um, I guess as a, also as like kind of, I feel like they're also offering you quite a lot of quite personal uh, material. Like a sketchbook is a very deeply personal and sentimental thing. Um, was there any apprehension on behalf of the designers in handing this stuff over for public display for yeah, years? Yeah, I, th I think rightfully so that I think when we had a lot of the first conversations with a lot of the studios that um, 
not even just apprehension, but confusion. Like um, the, the people, I think a lot of the designers as well didn't necessarily see themselves or their notebooks as being things that were of merit or of note. And so when we first approached like a lot of the studios, the thing that they sort of foisted upon us normally, first of all, was the concept art because concept art, nice, pretty picture. We understand how that can go up on a wall. Um, but when we're asking for sort of notebooks that, and we do obviously have discussions with the designers, like which pages are you happy for us to say? We're not going to post up this, we're going to put this page on display where you're bitching about this other team member or Just like some phone numbers <laughs> yeah, or addresses yeah, things like yeah we did have as well like people putting phone numbers in or email addresses and so we had to do sort of some rigorous work just sort of editing that out so that we don't want your mum's phone number on display in the middle of an exhibition that's not that's not good um but it was like the, the, the spreadsheet as well that's up here that sometimes like yeah we have a spreadsheet up here which i say the notebook's the most sort of humbling object that everybody can relate to and actually i think maybe it's a spreadsheet <laughs> everyone loves a good google doc um yeah um, and just to go back to um, this image of the, the, the actual gallery space, could you talk a little bit about kind of the approach to exhibition design? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a tendency in um, exhibitions of video games to sort of lean on these familiar tropes, things like pixels and like neon lights and huge controllers and that kind of thing. What, what kind of imagery were you trying to evoke here? Yeah, the, it was something, again, that... Um and we were, we, I think we've been incredibly fortunate throughout the whole um, sort of conception, not just of the show, but the publication and the poster design as well, that we've been really, really lucky to have worked with some really great design studios. So for the exhibition, we worked with um, sort of a joint lead, which was uh, Pinelo Orstedt Studio, who was our 3D architectural designers, who um, really sort of worked towards the, the sort of physical um, space and the layout of the exhibition. And um, alongside them, they worked with Squint Opera, who are an AV and interactive agency who have a lot of experience dealing with um, exhibition design. But the brief that we set out for them at the beginning was very much um, that we didn't want them to lean on sort of cliches or tropes. And we didn't want sort of pixels. We didn't want... Um, yeah, we didn't want Space Invaders or sort of like, oh, it's in the shape of Pac-Man. Um, because it's, and it's, yeah, it's just that we, it was, this exhibition was, con we're looking at games through contemporary lens and we wanted something that was sympathetic to that, but didn't um, didn't compete with it. And so the exhibition design that you can see here is just for the, um, the first section. And it's something that, um, one of the things that they wanted to achieve with that space that we sort of um, really like the idea of was being able to stand in that space and to be able to see the works in connection and in relation to each other. And so first of all, the first concept was this sort of big open space where you could step into the exhibition and you could see everything at once. And we're like, that's a little bit overwhelming. Um, and so they then sort of worked up their second concept, which has these sort of fabric scrims, which sort of divide the space and break up each of the, um, the eight games in the section. So it's actually broken into five spaces. And so some games sort of split or share sort of different halves um, at the space. But the idea for the scrim for them actually came from the fact that the designers went off and did research and sort of understood like the concept of, or learned about the concept of distance fogs and sort of said, ah, oh, there's ways and like there's thinking in games about the way that you can create these false senses of perspective and the way you can sum out these, um, these issues. And so that's where the scrim came from, from them, that this was an idea of sort of reflecting and touching on distance fog. And equally, the fact that this, the fact that the space is great. Now, this was a moment where, like, as a curator, you send off the exhibition to the designers and you're going to get the concept, you get the first concepts back. And you're like, it's wow. It's Pac-Man. Wow. We made Pac-Man, right? <laughs>
basically, there wasn't Pac-Man, but you're like, wow, what are they going to show us? What's going to be really amazing about this exhibition? It's going to be like, I, I can't quite picture it, but what are they going to present to us? And then the first slide that they showed us at this presentation was four different shades of grey. And they said, the exhibition's going to be grey. We've been thinking about grey. And I was like, oh, grey. And then... And then as they showed it, like they then worked through the slides and then they showed us, the next slide was sort of grey box level design. And that contextualised it, where they were saying, look, the exhibition is not the content. The exhibition design should not be competing with the content. This is an exhibition that is very intense with interactions and screens and bright colourful content. And the exhibition design should not be competing with that. It should be complementing that. And so... Then we sort of came round, like, then they showed us these really beautiful pictures of some of the fabrics and stuff, and we came round to it, but it was really depressing for that first moment, of excitement, just different shades of grey. But, um, and that's where this sort of grey concept comes from. And so I think we've been really fortunate to have worked with designers who, yes, the design does come from and does reflect game design, but not in a cliched way, in a way that showed that they actually cared and sort of cared to research to find out about, um, about that, yeah. Something else I really like about this exhibition, this is sort of moving on to the, the second section um, called, it's not called Politics in Code. No. That's the working title, <laughs> which no one's allowed to know. Shh, it's called, we didn't say that. What's it called? It's called what's Disruptors. The official title is Disruptors. We didn't talk about these things, but we can skip past that. Oh, we also made big, uh, the, the point being that all the objects are constellations and the middle of the constellation is a big installation. And for Journey, um, it was based around the... Um, Check based, out that spreadsheet. It was based around the spreadsheet and it was based around this that we wanted to find, how can we show people, if you're not playing the game, how do we show you that as a design object in a moment? And we did different installations for each of the different games, but this one for Journey, just as an example, was how, do we, how can we show you the game in a non-interactive way um, from a different perspective that gets you, gives you the ability as a visitor to understand that game through the lens that we're talking about it as or through the design process that we're talking about it through. How do we do that as an installation? So the concept for that was to create this sort of cross-section of the different levels of the game. So you follow the sort of... Um, the avatar character in the centre of each of those screens. And by looking at that, you can it connects back to the concept art. It connects back to the spreadsheet, which charts the narrative journey of the game and sort of that flow, which again sort of um, talked about the, um, the development of that game, sort of how they look towards the hero's journey, the emotional arc that they want to play is to go on. And so it was also a way of us giving a snapshot of that game. And one, but yeah, so that was a big diversion. Anyway, yeah, disruptive, the second section. <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, I think that I really like and admire about this exhibition is that it, it's not necessarily trying to present games as like the perfect, unique, wonderful medium that has zero problems in it. Um, it goes to really great lengths to sort of discuss these uh, quite pervasive cultural, social, political problems that are endemic to games. Things like sexism, violence, um, geopolitical barriers to entry. Uh, how, do you, how do you go about exhibiting something? Like we're no longer talking about individual games. These are, this is immaterial. How, how do you exhibit... A discourse. How do you exhibit the culture around games? Yeah, this this was by this is without doubt the hardest part of the exhibition to conceive of design-wise, because as Michael said, we were um, this is a space that was she seeking to show discussion. So I've been drinking beer, so I'm trying hard not to burp into the microphone at this point. I'll save you guys that or myself that indignity. Um, but it's. Yeah, that it's it, it it was it was a really difficult space to um, conceive of. That we constantly had walls and walls of pictures of games that we thought of having, um, that we knew that provoked these discussions, but 
For us, it was about creating an exhibition that didn't necessarily just offer up games as interactive works, that we wanted you to engage with them in a way that perhaps playing the game in a public space didn't necessarily allow. Um, and if you're not showing the design process, what, what are you showing? So the way, that we, um, the way that we developed this space was... It's, God, it's really hard looking, thinking back to it now because it seems so obvious when you look at the MB, like, oh yeah, we just did that. It's like, no, no, it was this horrible nightmare cycle of coming up with different concepts. But the concept that we landed on was that we got this list of probably about 30 games or 40 different games and a whole variety of different subjects and conversations that we wanted to focus on and just distilled it down to um, six, is six, isn't it? Or is it five, six? And so each of these desks has just one game or one work that is central to it. And that work is evocative of a broader discussion. So you can see just in the foreground here, so the, the, the one on the um, your left is uh, says games are political, which is the first sort of headline that you come into in that space. So the way that this was realized is that on each of these desks is a game or a work that is evocative of a broader discussion. And on the desk in front of it, which you can't quite see at this angle, is, um, thank you, Jen. Thanks, Don't spill it on the computer. <laughs> That in front of these, you have like a series of um, quotes and headlines and tweets because it's not just the games, it's also where that discourse or that discussion has been happening, which is online. And so, how do you show that? Like, and we thought about it as well as like a reading room where, like, okay, in some exhibitions, you'll step into a space with sort of books that you can stop and spend time and contemplate. But how do you conceive of a reading room when the majority of that material is digital in nature or is, um, is online? Um, and so we just took, we just distilled it down to some key quotes or some key headlines that sort of gave people the concept that there was a broader discussion happening. Um, and, yeah, so we had sort of like Pippin Bars, a series of gunshots as a way, or as a, a game through which sort of was a starting point for a discussion or a nuanced discussion about sort of violence and gun culture. In, in Because one of the things that I'll just say about this section as well is that I think it's really... Um, someone asked me yesterday, like, about what it was that... I think had sort of benefited the exhibition most from the department that I worked in. And I think the department that um, I was, or I'm sort of based within is one which is sort of historically a sort of contemporary collecting department. And is one which dealing with the contemporary also deals with a lot of, exhibiting a lot of objects that are part of very pressing contemporary social and political issues. And so by nature through the work that they've done, not in games but in other subjects, it gave the museum the confidence um, to understand and to and gave us sort of the ability or a framework to be able to create this space within because I think what potentially is the problem when sometimes major institutions think about exhibiting video games is that there's this automatic assumption that uh, games are entertainment, they're industry, they're consumer products, they're for children. And if we we buy in all into all of that and we say, great, this is a great way of getting in a big, huge audience, then suddenly, well, we can't really talk to, we can't talk about these subjects anymore because, well, we can't really show any of this controversial stuff and we can't have a conversation. You can't see all the way at the back. We've hidden it at the back. It's the one that says, let's talk about sex. So we can't have a talk about sort of sex in video games. And suddenly this really critical need to have a conversation about these subjects, which are happening in games communities that should also be part of a discourse in an exhibition suddenly get sidelined because, oh dear, we can't deal with that because this is a fun arcade. So I think one of the greatest benefits of being in the department that I was in was the fact that it gave the institution and ourselves the confidence to be able to deal with and engage with these subjects. And, and equally not in that sort of really clunky sort of Daily Mail sort of um, games make you violent. It's like, mm, 
how do we how do we get people and how do we get people who are from beyond games to understand the nuance and the complexity of the conversations that have been happening within games communities rather than regurgitating some of these same stereotypes or some of these same um yeah opinions or ideas was there any as you were developing this was there any sense that you needed to sort of present this as because this is all stuff that is part of like an ongoing uh culture war almost like um the, the concept that video games are political is something that is debated. Um, was there any uh, pressure on you or any expectation or any hesitation that maybe you needed to sort of uh, present this as a debate with two sides? Or are you comfortable? were you comfortable and supported in having a big headline that says video games are political? It was... Um the thing that we sort of said about this space is that, um, and was sort of reiterated to me, and there's a this collecting that our department does called Rapid Response, which is a gallery space which brings in sort of objects that are part of um, pressing contemporary issues and objects of design, and they skew, they tend to skew to be sort of um, design objects that do link towards sort of social and political discussions. But the thing that's always been said to me about this space is that we are not putting these objects here as to say this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. It's like no, we're putting them here to provoke discussion. We're putting them here to sort of provoke a debate and that's very much what this is doing is that um yes i i don't believe that we can i can ever be impartial i'm never going to be sort of well i'm just gonna say this i'm gonna be completely neutral on this discussion because that's like that's impossible and also that's kind of what curation by definition sort of does but um but it gave us the confidence to be able to put works there and even to put sometimes headlines there that i didn't agree with to be able to say look we're trusting the visitor here to understand this as being um, the center point of a broader discussion rather than sort of, here's the pros, here's the cons, or here's the correct answer. Here's 10 reasons why games might be sexist and 10 Ooh. reasons why, oh, it's no big Maybe deal. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're not political. <laughs> no. um, I've just realized uh, that we're getting relatively long time, so I'm going to ask a couple more questions before we throw it open to the audience. Um, I'd be interested to know, interested to know how you see this exhibition fitting into kind of a broader history of um, video game exhibitions. I know that, like, there haven't been that many sort of major exhibitions of video games, and it's certainly a fairly short history. Um, and it also feels like a lot of these large-scale uh, video game exhibitions, I'm thinking of things like the Barbican's Game On, Acme's Game Masters, they've maybe been uh, developed in kind of isolation, and there isn't necessarily a kind of institutional... Uh, memory or something where e each of these new exhibitions is very encyclopedic and is very broad whereas yours seems to have a much clearer kind of focus and scope um, were you conscious of, of sort of the work that had come before you as you were developing this? I think, I think everybody who is working in this space and doing these exhibitions is aware of what's gone before and obviously it was Comrade who was the curator of both Game Masters and Game On so unless he's got a very short term memory I'm sure that he remembered the work he'd done sort of um, a few years before but um, but I think it's I think, yeah, it's like, a, and, and having, one of the things that I admit to even being sort of ignorant of myself is that, yes, I'm aware of these exhibitions and I've spoken to people, but as an outsider, it's sometimes very easy to look at things and sort of be like, mm, it's not the way I do it or it's not the approach I'd have. But the more you speak to different curators who've gone previously, you realise actually a lot of the ambitions of what we realised within this exhibition were ambitions that previous curators had felt, but for variety of reasons, perhaps sort of institutionally, perhaps sort of for a variety of other reasons that it perhaps wasn't the time and space to be able to accomplish that. Um, 
And so this exhibition was always created in mind with a view to what had gone previously, which tended to be exhibitions which focused or centered on the game as a playable work. And that is complicated for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we didn't want to create that sort of arcade in a museum because it was a design museum and we wanted to open it up as a design work and there needed to be a new curatorial language to be able to do that through, um, which is what we tried to do. And we think we took a lot of gamble, we took a big gamble with that as well because I think you see so many of their exhibitions still selling themselves or still being ranked on like, how many playable games have we got? And it's like, is that the bar for what a good exhibition is or isn't? And even the press, when they review it, like some press are like, well, there's not enough playable games in here to satisfy the, the, the gamers. And it's like, who? Like, who, who is this person? Yet? Well, anyway. So I think we, we're very much aware of the history of what gone before. We were aware that we were doing something that is quite different and... For us, it's sort of, I hope that that sort of empowers um, and empowers other institutions to go further than we have done. And I think, yeah, this show is looking at contemporary games um, and we're doing it through this sort of design lens, but this is still a survey show. This is still very broad and very wide, wide, wide remit. And I really desperately want us to be able to get away from just purely seeing exhibitions on video games like it's an exhibition on video games it's just called video games and we always joke like you're not gonna have an exhibition just called architecture but then we do have exhibitions at the vna called shoes and quilts so that's not quite true but um but it, but there's a there's a desperate need to get into other spaces into other niches to tell other histories to have other lenses and i think i hope it i hope it empowers other institutions to engage with this subject i hope it lets us sort of perhaps get survey shows sort of out of our system a little bit um not to discredit my own work but um but i, I just think there's so many interesting niches and there's so many people that are doing really amazing work out there who are capable and competent at putting on exhibitions like this i think um yeah but that did i think that it but equally, equally, we need to get better at sort of remembering our history of what has gone before with exhibitions. There needs to be more communication, I think, amongst people who are curating to share sort of ideas and to share those histories because um, sometimes people or press have even been like, it's the first ever exhibition on video games. It's like, mm, you didn't really, didn't really do much research on that, did you? But um, I've got plenty more of my own questions, but we've got about 15 minutes left to go, so I might open it up to the audience if anyone's got questions. When Game On launched at the Barbican in 2002, it had, I think, 10 commissioned artworks which were designed to analyse design and a whole lot of other artefacts that were not... Well, the artworks toured with the exhibition but were never shown again because it mostly toured to science museums after that in the, in the States who retranslated the narrative to be one of a technology evolution narrative. So that was not the original curatorial narrative. And that's what I mean, just sort of in that history. And I know that you've sort of, we've talked about that before and it's been really great to speak to sort of Helen Stuckey, who is in the front, who also has, a, like, there's a lot that I'm indebted to with the work that sort of Helen has done in curating video games and making this sort of possible that those exhibitions have done amazing work. But I just, everything's just so few and far between and we just lose those histories and we lose that, that original intent, so... Oh, can we get the mics? We can't hear you at the front. Here it comes. I'm just curious to know how many gamers are here. How many people play video games Physically here? play them. Okay. Who counted? <laughs> Can I ask the alternative question? Who here are museum people? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I, I have um, 
the two questions and you can choose to answer either or both. Um, Neither. <laughs> um, so, actually, this is the pre-question. How long has this been open? It's been open since September. So, it's open from September to February 2019 at the V&A. Okay, so, okay, so it is, oh, it's been open at least a couple of months now. Yeah. Um, so, can you – I'd be interested to hear more about your target audience um, and, like, who is your target audience and how is the audience that has – enjoyed the exhibition so far um, being different from your target audience? So that's the first question. You can choose to answer that if you want. Shall I do that one quickly now whilst I remember? Oh, sure. I guess target audience is really... I, I know that there's sort of like... There's the, 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 the thing that I really have to sort of give credit as well to the v is, is that, that, that they didn't... I never really felt the push as a curator to sort of adhere to some sort of mythical audience or so, sort of marketing audience of what they expected necessarily. And so I think that there was a lot of, um, I felt very empowered as we both myself and also Christian Volsing as well, who is the research curator on the exhibition, who obviously um, did an awful lot of work as well sort of um, in developing the show that I don't think either of us really felt necessarily that pressure of an institution pushing us to do something different, that they, we felt very empowered in that way. But um but we, as curators, were very conscious to think about, um, and I, I'm, I'm curious to know sort of like how successful it has been. Um, and I don't know sort of uh, at what point we'll be able to sort of take learnings from that was thinking about how do we make sure that this exhibition works for people who are um, enthusiasts of games, who are fans of games, who will come with sort of an expert knowledge, perhaps not about every game or work, but about perhaps specific games or in the exhibition that they might be attuned to or might sort of really be big fans on. But And how do we also still speak to people who are unfamiliar with this subject? And that was an ambition of the show. I'm not saying it should have to be the ambition of every show on games, but for us, we wanted to make sure. And so that's something that we thought of a lot during the curation is thinking, okay, what objects are likely to appeal to, um, like if you're a big fan of Bloodborne, then maybe you want to come and see the, the sketches of the designers, but how do we also make sure that this is accessible to other audiences? And there's, and then, but the um, the second question as to how successful that has been, I admit to um, after having spent three and a half years on this project, just sort of, I've been in the exhibition, so I can speak anecdotally about sort of the makeup of people there, but I can't talk about the figures or the sort of demographics just yet. But maybe in future. And also, I've just been sticking my head in the sand and trying not to read Twitter. I'm like, I don't want to know what social media thinks. I'm going on holiday. Just go to the bed. Go to bed for the next three years. Yeah. <laughs> Second question is a quick one. If you imagine um, some visitors walking out of the exhibition, they've just gone through it, um, and you overhear their conversation, what is it that they, that they say that makes you go, yes, we did it? Yes, I'm going to buy the exhibition catalogue. It looks great because I'm in the gift shop. Um, <laughs> um, the, thing that, the thing that we always say that I really want people to take away from the exhibition is like there's sort of three, three objectives. Um, one, like it would be great if more people left the exhibition feeling empowered to make video games. And that is not to mean that every, way, every person now has to go leave and start a company. You can make video games as a hobby. It could just be like you do like with knitting or with anything else that just having a curiosity to feel empowered to create. If not that, then I hope that people leave sort of perhaps with an ambition of maybe either playing games that are different to the ones that they've played before or perhaps wanting to play games if they're not somebody who has or feeling as though it's a space that they are sort of, that they can see themselves in or that they're welcome in. But if, if we achieve neither of those things, I think the one thing that I really want to ensure that people do leave with or hope that people leave with is just an appreciation for it as a design discipline and for the designers and to have understood that. that and I think that's a huge 
undertaking that only that, that, that spaces and museums are best place to do is to help increase games literacy and to increase, increase literary literacy about video games and i think that's a big factor in how we break away from some of the stereotypes and some of the sort of um the sort of the sort of sort of stereotype discussion that this sort of washing machine that we go around in sort of the mainstream media about the discussions we have of like a video games art do video games make you violent and it's like let's move like let's get more nuanced than this let's move on from this so I hope it helps increase literacy and it helps sort of um, empower people to feel just a bit more confident about this in the same way that they do probably any design other design discipline well uh, congratulations on your exhibition it's quite Thank a feat I grew up in the late 80s through the 90s to 2000s playing video games and a lot of the, you know, you were addressing games sort of past mid-2000s and onwards, but a lot of the issues you've um, chosen for the disruptions were things, conversations that were being had in the 80s and 90s. Um, so there's, on that social plane, and so there's, uh, and so I'm curious, in your um, experience the exhibition, were there any new disruptions that maybe weren't exhibited that you came across through the process of these games that, as you said, have taken things to another level? Do you mean um, subjects that we didn't cover or that... Yeah, or, or if there's anything that... Because, like I said, the new games and you, the groundbreakingness of them, are, there, are they breaking, are they disrupting new things? Because the sex and the politics and the guns... Yeah, yeah. I heard and I think all, those are, yeah. yeah, and those are those are the yeah. two that you can sort of see at the front. Yeah, I yeah, I'm curious. The thing, yeah. the thing, the thing to sort of paraphrase this section with as well is that it's also a section that um, you can't see sort of the other ones at the back. That there's why are video games so white, and then beyond that is video games are a girl thing. And so we had the, the, the sort of subjects that we covered were sort of um, gun culture, politics, geopolitics, race. Um, gender and sex and sexuality. Um, and that is by no means every discussion that is happening in games. And it was by no means as well to say this has been solved or great games are diverse now because they're not. We've got a long way to go to, to still deal with some of those issues. Um, I think sort of within the period that I think it, without doubt that you can look towards work such as Feminist Frequency as having kicked and really... Those discussions, the discussions about sexism and representation within video games did not start with Feminist Frequency, but that as a, as a critical series that came along on such an accessible platform such as YouTube definitely was a catalyst to reignite that discussion. And, and then that conversation, I think, has then reached out in a much broader conversation about sort of access and privilege to access with games. And it's got a long way to go that like some of the subjects that we wanted to really acknowledge that the exhibition suffered with in a way is that this exhibition still leans very heavily in its content towards Western games creators to um, East Asian game creators and not so much, um, say, sort of like, like there's not a single work in this exhibition from, uh, say, any games designers in India or uh, or in uh, in various others, or wherever sort of else in the world and sort of understanding that there's still sort of biases there, which is, I'm not going to try and explain Alb, which is in here, which sort of touched upon some of those biases. So... Um, but, we, but it's only six discussions. It was by no means sort of comprehensive. It was just six that we felt with the constraints of the space and time, the yeah. ones where we had the strongest works to evoke those discussions. But it was by no means saying that, good, it's all sold. Yeah. It's more like, let's just keep this conversation going. But can we move beyond um, the sort of headlines and the sort of discussions that tend to play out in mainstream media? Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm just interested in people who are at the forefront of game design and is that coming from specifically a country or a city or is it coming from independent studios around the world? It's coming from Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, good question. Michael, you answer that one. No. <laughs> um, I mean, in, in, the, in regards to the exhibition, that we didn't pin it down to saying it's any one thing, because I think one of the things that would be very easy for us to have done, potentially looking at this period and saying, oh, these technological sort of advancements have empowered, and it's indie games and independent games, but it's actually much broader than that, that, that with regards to the exhibition, that it, it was about trying to show sort of a full spectrum or a relatively full spectrum from sort of big AAA studios down to sort of small independent sort of designers, equally to, again, sort of people like Anita Sarkeesian, sort of YouTube video, uh, YouTube creators or um, or critics or commentators. So, I don't know, I, don't, I would find it really hard, I find it really hard being put in the spot and sort of saying who is perhaps doing that sort of most radical work, but because I think it is sort of happening across the board and there's definitely an interplay between those different things. So, I'm going to cop out and not give you an answer. It's everyone! That's an answer. Like, it, it yeah, the... the the message that this exhibition gets across is that games are made by a really broad plurality of people and that video games themselves aren't like a single concrete discipline. It's it's really splintered and fractured and yeah. means a lot of different things. Yeah, because I think that, yeah, it's like... It's, it's, like we always use the really clunky analogies of like um, when we're doing the media training, they were like use analogies and like talk about film, and then the analogy being like yeah, but I, but I, th I think it is true that broader beyond sort of people who are literate around games that. Everyone is sort of literate to understand that films is more than just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but perhaps within games, it's not quite... We don't... I think there's not so much a broader understanding of how splintered and how fractured and how many different types of making games there is, like that, the, that it is as broad as film, that it is as broad as literature. It's not... Um, but it's not discussed quite in the same way, that there is a very heavy heavy skew towards industry and towards commerce and it's not to undermine that that's it's there and it's undeniable and it's important but what is missing is the cultural conversation and the sort of cultural support and thinking about games as culture or as design or as craft i'm not going to say art <laughs> hello for somebody who's curious about this sort of stuff but might not have a background in game design or even in design or whatever is there any literature that you can recommend as an entry point to hearing about this sort of stuff? Or websites to or Books about curation or... Yeah, or, or even just like... Or just games. Contemporary video game design and, and sort of the new attitudes surrounding it. Ooh. I've, I'm, brain's gone numb thinking about all the books. Goldie, you could say those books. You know what they are. <laughs> I think this, the, the, the one book that sort of was really important to me to sort of feature in the exhibition was um, Ananthropy's Rise of the Video Game Zinsters, that that, um, that for me sort of is such a manifesto and such a sort of radical, and, and, and I think such an important work as well for thinking about sort of games differently and just even the, ti the full title of that, which I can't remember. Um, we play games, fan. we don't read yeah. books. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, for me, that's, that's one game which I think just sort of, I think for so, if, for so many people just radically sort of recontextualizes, um, yeah, the possibilities. Should, uh, should more museums have games exhibitions and what can we do to encourage them? No, we've done it now. We did the game exhibition. No more. <laughs> yes, they should. Um, I don't know how we encourage more, like... Apart from maybe just talking about it and getting people, maybe just make them all really competitive about it. Maybe that's a way of doing it. This museum's um, done it well. Ooh, isn't this nice and shiny? Look at this nice five-star review from The Guardian. Don't you want that? What do you reckon, NGV? Mm. Everyone just shout really loud. Um, 
I don't necessarily know how we get more. I think, I, but I think it is happening. I think we're at a tipping point. Um, where I th- and I think it was never really a question of when. No, no, wait, question when. I think it was never a question of if. I think it's always been a question of when. Um, and I think for, for this exhibition, like one of the really critical things was having that advocate in the institution who pushed for it, which, again, that sort of really critical person was Kieran Long, who is sort of, um, I don't know his exact age, but sort of like late 30s, early 40s. And even though he's from an architecture background, he's someone who's just playing, grown up playing games, so he doesn't see that distinction. And he generally wanted to engage with this subject and so has pushed the institution to do that. And I think it's very wrong-headed for, to, th- to think about sort of like, just because we've done this exhibition at the V&A, that there is, in the UK, amazing work being done by um, the British Library, by the Welcome Collection, by um, like MoMA, and New- uh, like outside of the UK, like MoMA, that the Barbican's done these exhibitions, Acme does amazing work sort of um, connecting with sort of local games communities. And I think it's, we're definitely the beginning point of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a shift and a change there. And I think the thing that I personally really want to see is just those institutions trying to do things differently, trying to be a bit more radical, doing things a bit weirder, trying different niches, niches and just sort of approaching games the same way that they do any other subjects um, or any other disciplines. And it's not, games shouldn't necessarily be viewed, we can all argue whether it should be viewed as design or media or which lens we should look at it through, when actually we need to be looking at it through many, many different lenses, with, and especially empowering and supporting many different types of curator um, from, from different diverse backgrounds as well to sort of look at games differently. But, um, but yeah, I think, I don't know how, but I think it just naturally is shifting and changing. And there's a really, a really great networking community of peers of mine that now sort of confidently call themselves games curators, which I don't think was the case maybe sort of 10, 15 years ago. Well, there wasn't that amount of people doing that. Do you have any advice for people who make games on how their games could be better archived? Do it yourself. <laughs> that's not, that's, like, that's actually not sort of like... Like, should we that's, keep our notebooks? That's not like a throwaway stuff. answer, but actually that is one of the really critical things. If you're a games designer, that please don't wait for an institution to wake up and archive that work because there's a lot of work to be done. Institutions move big and slow, and actually there's a lot of great work that's happening by sort of... I don't, I don't like saying sort of hobbyist collectors because it undermines, I think, the expertise and the intelligence they bring to that. But, um, but if there's something that you know and love and you're a games designer, then just value what you do and value what you've got. Like, I find it hard to... Ad- to advocate because I'm so anti-hoarding and um, I'm just sort of like, just hoard everything, guys. It might come in valuable one day. Just value what you do. Be considerate of it and, and talk about it more and be open about your process um, and speak to different institutions. Young lady down at the front with the, the fetching dress, which I can't see because you've got it covered up. There we go. Did the V&A acquire many or any games out of this? We do have games in the collection, but we haven't yet acquired any from this exhibition. It is an ambition to to begin to continue this work, but um, who's to say what's going to happen next? Oh, one more? Sure. Just in terms of um, museums um, having exhibitions on games, just to let you know, there's a pop-up exhibition at the moment at ScienceWorks, which is part of Museums Victoria, um, which is about um, uh, education and games. So it's displaying the winners of the STEM video game challenge, and it's super cool. Uh, and we've also um, got um, some games on um, display from um, Opaque Space, again, like looking at kind of because uh, science works, it's all about space and astronomy and looking at people experiencing space and learning about space through games. So they're very cool. Jen, that's cheating. You can't ask a question. It's your event. <laughs> <laughs> what was the public programming like? Um, well, that's, what, that's one of the things as well that with regards to the exhibition that there's only so much which is suitable 
to actually undertake it in exhibition and realizing that museums aren't just about exhibitions or collections. They are about also the the excellent Friday lates that the museum can do around video games. Um, or um, Jen was the person who programmed Friday lates at the V&A. So she did some very excellent video game themed Friday lates during my time there. But, um, but yeah, it, but it's, it's great because it means that there's a broader engagement with um, with sort of different ways of, of stuff that you can't do in the exhibition. So there's been, uh, we have a video games designer in resident uh, at the moment, a guy called Mate Mateo, um, I can't remember his surname. Let's just say it's Mateo. Um, who's uh, sort of in residence with us for nine months. Um, we have sort of great work that the learning department have done sort of um, with different workshops um, for kids to sort of learn from different tools and stuff. Commissions? Oh yeah, and commissions. We've not announced that yet, Michael. Pardon me. Commission? Nah. Who know? Who could say? Who could say? Um, Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, there's going to be commissions that we'll hopefully announce when I've got back to work and have written a blog post about Just it, which I'm not doing now. The reason why it's not announced is because I'm sat here rather than being there typing it up. Um, but one of the things, I know that we've said like that that's the last question, but oh, where are these images going? Blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that no, no one's asked, but I'm just going to tell you anyway, um, is just, um, Michael sort of alluded at the beginning about my um, practice being broader than the exhibition, that I'm not somebody that started out thinking, when I grow up, I'm going to be a curator of video games at the V&A, because that job did not exist. And I did not think that curation and video games was something that was possible. And the only way that... I really came to that was, um, so this is World Rumpus, the work that I did before, which is very sort of grassroots, independent games. Um, and for a long time, I didn't call myself a curator when I was doing this work. Um, like you can see sort of people tying move controllers to their feet in a paddling pool or an arcade, UCLA's arcade game backpack, which is um, an arcade backpack. But... This was this was this was born out for me of a frustration that I was really inspired by the work that Baby Castles, a DIY video game collective, were doing in New York, and I was very frustrated as someone who was not a games designer but was interested in what was happening in games and did not feel that there was any spaces for me to go to engage with that work, and so we basically just sort of stole Baby Castle's idea and Kokoromi's idea and um, founded the collective World Rumpus and put on these events, and we did that for many years and this this is the sort of grassroots work that then during that time I gained the confidence to call myself a curator and sort of learn an awful lot just by doing it um and it, there's a lot of most people that I know that work in games curation now sort of even in a sort of an official and institutional capacity are people who have learned it by doing this very grassroots work of not waiting for permission of being excited or interested in sort of something about games that they wanted to show and they wanted to exhibit and this is how I ended up working at the V&A. So this was going to be if anyone else like, how did you get into curating video games? This is my answer is that there's no one way to skin a cat that um, you don't have to necessarily go through some sort of institutional approach. If you want to, that's fine. If you want to do an MA or if you want to do a PhD, that's fine. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, that sort of grassroots work and Melbourne's got a really amazing and sort of vibrant community of sort of like Bar SK doing sort of DIY works. And so, um, yeah, that's... So you can just do it by doing weird stuff with paddling pools, just and then you curate pool, exhibitions at the V&A. Strap something to someone's back, Woo. and then you're in a museum. Easy. Bish bash bosh. Um, let's all say thanks to Marie Fulston. You were listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. Our theme music is by Chris Keogh via New Weird Australia, licensed under Creative Commons. For more, find our podcast at npavilion.org forward slash about.